sir. I would like your finest suite, please. Yes, ma'am. Would you like me to check your luggage? Yes, ma'am. Right away, ma'am. You're I'm... a weird kid. You're a weird kid. Oh, fuck me! Sorry. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. My name is Bobby, I'll be your host. Welcome back to Bros. Breakdowns, reviews, and other shit. That's a good one. Breakdowns, reviews, and other stuff. If you got kids listening, um, there will be explicit content. Just FYI. Uh, my name is Bobby. Like I said, I'll be your host. With me is my brother, my best friend, the weirdest kid I know, Brandon. You want to say what's up, Brandon? The oldest kid you know now. What's up? Weird kid. It's a, it's a reference, bro. It's a reference to the episode. You're weir- you you were a very weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today we'll be talking about the latest episode of the HBO series Last of Us. Uh, episode two titled infected we know there were some audio issues in the in the last step but uh we uh are trying to fix that but bear with us if you if if uh if you can't hear every word you you, you got the gist of it you, you got you you know basically what we're trying to say in that last step um Help us out scott yeah playstation and your children can wait <laughs> scott didn't even listen he's not even watching the show he says he's too scared he says i'm i'm too much of a bond i'm a big bond he's not watching the show no he's not he says it's too scary that he gets anxiety. He he, he tried to he couldn't make it through ten minutes, fifteen minutes. He tapped out. Shout out Randy. I think Randy uh, might be tuning in. Uh, oh, really? Yes. Yeah. He he tuned into the show at least. He hit me up and like he hit me up. Holy shit! Out of nowhere, uh, during the week, and I was like, "What?" And he's all, "The show is giving me. I'm only twenty minutes in." And it's giving me mad anxiety. He's all, I don't know, I forget what he said. The first something. episode, obviously, right? Yeah, he was talking about the first episode. Yeah, uh, no, not Randy, sorry. Angel was telling me about it, too. He was, like, like uh, texting me commentary while he was listening to it. He's like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, this and that. It's kind of cool. That's so good. Thanks, Angel. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening, you're probably a friend or a family member. Jazzy girl, Tyler. Uh... I don't know if you guys may, I don't think anybody other than one brave listener went, got through the whole two hour ep that we dropped, that monster size ep that we dropped. Shout out Slaughterhouse himself, Toby Baca. Oh yeah, thanks Toby. <laughs> Made it all the way through, supposedly. What I, what I suspect he did was fast forward to the end and made a note to me or a reference to me that would say, oh, if I just mention this, you'll know I listened to the end. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I'm, I'm going to r- drop a quiz of episode one. Make sure he listened. Otherwise, these shout outs are done, Toby. You're, f- you're done. Quizlet? Yeah. Drop it on Quizlet. Have you heard of that? Uh-uh. It's like a, it's kind of like um, like a flashcard, like online flashcard type we- uh, website. Hmm. And they just put, you just put like, a lot of teachers utilize it. You just put whatever quizzes you want and stuff and anyone can take them. But there was a controversy like recently that someone found like all, like all the scouting reports for other NBA teams, and and they were on uh, Joe Mazzulla's like Quizlet account, and they're saying like ever since they found them, like the Celtics went on like a couple game losing streak because their whole scouting report for every other team was like basically public. It was leaked. Yeah. Who the so, hell leaked the Quizlet? 
It was like some some fan of like a or some a girlfriend, the fan or the girlfriend of a Boston Celtics fan, and everyone was like telling her like, "Why would you leak that?" Funny. Uh, so like I said, what we're covering is uh, Last of Us episode two, the titled Infected. Uh, I wonder why. I wonder why they decided to title it that. This episode was written by Craig Mazin, show one of the showrunners, and directed this time by Neil Druckmann, the original game creator. So they traded duties, basically. Or not necessarily traded. The last episode, first episode, was written by Mazin and Druckmann. But Mazin directed, and this time Druckmann directed. And it made a lot of sense since it um, kind of pulls directly from the video game, um, at least in the middle. We'll get to we'll get to that more more to that later. Um, HBO announced today that the show has been renewed, bro. Second season, did you hear? Yeah, I've been waiting for them to announce it. I didn't think it was gonna come this soon, but I for sure thought it would. I I was gonna be surprised if it they waited any like longer. Late, later next week. Yeah. Well, episode two had an even bigger viewership than episode one. It reached five point seven million viewers in the U.S. That's a 22% increase over the 4.7 that tuned into the premiere. So pretty significant. It's the largest two week, uh, it's the largest week two audience growth for any HBO drama series in the history of the network. Um, yeah, and they say HBO now claims that 22 million people have seen the, the premiere. So that's like strong word of mouth, you know, like another million people watch. One million more people watched the second episode than the first. I think there was like really strong word of mouth. I know I was telling everybody. I told Roth. I told Randy. I'm trying to get Scott, but um, I did my part. Did, did you, bro? I think the timing has a lot to do with it too. Yeah, there's not a lot going on right now. Um, I'm sure HPLZ or anyone. Who's like this is their actual job? Like it was purposeful because there's not a lot of like big shows out right now. Um, the most you're hearing about movies is shit that came out last year because of the Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, there's like really no competition for. It. I mean, I'm not not to say that it doesn't deserve it, but I mean, I think the timing definitely helps. Like if this was going on the same time as like White Lotus was last year or something like that, that probably would have hurt the numbers a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the NFL, I mean, Sunday too, you know, some people, I mean, some people are probably already on the couch. They figure out what's on. It's like one of the only thing, things that's on. Yeah, but like, like I feel like the reason I, I feel confident saying that is because like you and mom are like on top of like every show. So yeah, the, the like, only and thing... I, I've noticed like last, like recently, like we're like struggling to find shit to watch. Yeah, so. the only thing we're watching right now is uh, Your yes. Honor, uh, which is pretty rough, bro. <laughs> Uh, Mayor of Kingstown, which is uh, another, it's not very good. But yeah, there's nothing really good on right now, at least on TV. Um, but anyway, good, good, uh, good for your HBO. Like, you watched the New Year. Got another hit. What you watched the New Year Honor? Yeah, we watched episode two. I mean, it wasn't as wacky as the first one, and like, but still, it's it's rough. It should have ended season one. Didn't need to go on. Yeah, I'm almost kind of feeling like the TV fatigue. Like a lot of the the shows feel half baked because they're just turning them out so quickly now. Yeah, they they're uh, overstaying their welcome. A lot of yeah. these shows they don't need a season two, but 
it's going to stop all this stuff happening like behind the scenes with um mergers and and changes in leadership and stuff like the money's running out so we're not going to see as many shows anyways yeah. uh overall impressions what'd you think what'd you think of this episode bro do you want to start or i mean overall um like not to beat a dead horse but yeah like a pretty faithful to the game the changes were appreciated or, or like the um, i should say like the the recontextualization of certain events like yeah i was watching a lot of videos on youtube about it because I, I didn't rewatch the episode I, you know me i don't like to rewatch a lot of things so i was more so just looking at like watching recap videos and they're mentioning how some some events in this episode like took place at different times during the like um during the day in the game and then also like at different times like a- even after this point in the game um like for example they were saying that the part when when Allie's like pretending to like ring the the hotel front desk uh, i guess that part in that part um that was after the whole test situation and i, I didn't remember that so I after that was, after test dies yeah really so i guess that was later in the game huh. i forgot what point it was at in the game oh that's but, cool yeah but overall, you you were thumbs up. You you mess with it. Yeah, I, I liked. I think I I don't know. I feel like the, like the first one spoiled us a little bit because that one just felt like a straight up movie. Yeah, and this one felt like yeah, this one much it was much more claustrophobic. Yeah, and it also just like it, it felt more formulaic, like in terms of like it it kind of reminded me like this is a show. Yeah, point A you know to point saying? B. Like, and, and obviously like the first episode, it felt like a show too, but. I don't know. I guess the length of it and like just introducing us into that world, it, it felt a little more like grander. Whereas this one kind of felt not necessarily like filler, but more so like yeah, like 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 an episode of the show. I'm sure like if once I rewatch it or you know once all the episodes are out, and we're able to like revisit it. It'll feel different. Um, yeah. I I guess I'm I'm just like if I'm being honest, like I'm just more excited to see the more like different events from the game so like this one kind of felt like routine to me because i'm like we all know like about at least all the the gaming people know about like the whole test situation so seeing it again it it, it didn't do as much for me as like someone who's never played the game if that makes sense yeah i think i mean people not to say that i wasn't good it just kind of felt like um yeah like nothing new i guess oh wow a lot of people who have played the game said that it did feel new. They did make a lot of changes to the way Tess, you know, to what happens to Tess. But, no, I feel you. I mean, I've seen, like, some side-by-sides, and a lot of it looks very, very similar. So Yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't say nothing new, but, like, as new as the first episode felt. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. it, it didn't feel as, as it, it, like, it didn't take as many um, directional changes and, like, liberties which I liked a lot in the first episode as like, yeah, this one just didn't do as much for me, I guess. Interesting. And again, not to say that it wasn't good, but it was just interesting. I kind of, yeah. I, no surprises really. No, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I probably, I don't, I don't know if I liked it more. I thought it's just, a, it's just a banger in my opinion, like all, almost all the way around. Yeah. Uh, a lot of cool action. Like I thought the action was stellar. Um, Another thing I thought that the action did really well was like drive character, which is which is something that's kind of not always done or not always focused on, and 
it did that here. I'll explain more what I mean by that later. But like all the threats and challenges that the characters face kind of revealed something about who they are, you know, like when like the obstacle of of uh, delivering Allie to to the fire or to the state house is like it shows that Tess feels a certain way about the world right she's more hopeful to, and even, even though they're already out there I think I was like what changed that all of a sudden like Joel is like having second thoughts and I guess just the fact that he had to kill that Fedra guard he's kind of thinking about scrapping the whole mission but um Tess is like no this is this might be real so like when you get to learn more about a character through an obstacle in like the narrative I think that's that's good writing uh, I saw. I thought the visuals were pretty stunning, and the visual effects, like the city, the open city, looked really good. I mean, you could tell some of it is is CG, but I thought it was it looked great. I was like taken aback with that first um the first time you know Ali steps out into the open city. That was like probably one of my favorite shots, and the doves are kind of like flying. Uh, it's like really beautiful. Uh, the production design, the set design, the sound design. Like I think this is an episode that relies really heavily on sound. And I thought that sounded great. The sound of like the clickers, the sound, you know, um, that whole, that whole set piece in the middle, um, when they encounter the clicker being quiet, the steps, all that stuff. Uh, I thought the sound design was really excellent. Cinematography, a lot of really good shots, really cool shots. Um, and some really good acting from Bella in particular and Anna. I think Joel was sidelined a little bit and this is, this isn't his episode. This is, um, I mean, I said Anna, I meant Tess. Anna Torv is the actress, but um, Joel didn't have that much to do acting-wise, at least not throughout most of it, but I think uh, Bella and Anna really got some time to shine here, and they really got to dig into their and stretch these characters out through what, through what was going on in the plot. Uh, a lot of suspense, a lot of tension, some new rules. We learned a lot of new things about the world. I think that's cool. Um, seeing some new rules established, and then seeing the consequences of those rules and seeing how they work in real time. So you don't just get them explained to you. You actually see what happens when they uh, when they come to fruition. Um, yeah, it just feels like nobody's safe. The fact that they killed off what seemed like a main character. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't played the game just to remind people. So I didn't wasn't ex- I was very surprised, shocked by Tess dying. I thought she would. I mean, I could tell by the posters and all the promotional material that, she, you know, it wasn't Joel, Tess, and, uh, or it wasn't yeah. Joel, Allie, and Tess. It was mainly just, you know, Joel and Allie. So I knew yeah. something was going to happen, but I didn't expect her to go out in episode two. Um, so that just shows that, you know, anybody can get it, basically, when they're, you know, kind of Game of Thrones style almost. Um, I don't know. Um, the path ahead, you know, like, we saw the path kind of laid out what what the general plan of the of the mission was going to be but now it's even more dangerous they don't have any supply or they don't or they, or they do have the supplies i think some of the supplies that they were promised but uh, now they actually have to now joel actually has to get Allie to where the fireflies were, were supposed to get her so um what seemed like an already dangerous mission is even more dangerous uh and longer um yeah, just the the whole the episode just upped the ante of the entire uh, kind of journey and 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 um, kind of narrative of the show. So so yeah, I thought it was I thought it was excellent. Um, let's break down the episode. So we open up in two thousand three. So flashback Jakarta. Uh, the date is 
September 24th, so two days before outbreak day. So basically, it, it took Cordyceps about three days to bring the whole world down. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Um, second cold open in a row. Uh, I wonder if this is going to be like a trend. But uh, for those who, who don't know what cold open is, it's basically when a show or a film opens with a scene that's uh, focused on a different character or in a different setting or time than than like the main story basically you know um this is a technique that that a lot of shows employ uh at least recently it's become sort of a trend um used to varying effectiveness at best it you know it deepens and enriches like the main story at, at worst it's just like a like a, a flex and they're trying to be too cute but um what about you bro you, you a fan you a fan of cold opens yeah, most of the time. Um, I, I like when... I think it's interesting what they're doing here is like that it's not really... I mean, it is connected to the... the like the world building and all that, but it's interesting like how it's... from At least from what we've seen, they aren't characters that we're most likely going to be introduced to again or even mentioned. You know, yeah. they have no con- relationship to the the main cast, really. I think that's kind of an interesting choice because most of the time, like most cold opens, like yeah, they they're gonna connect to the story somehow. But I think it's it's kind of bold and interesting that they're in two episodes in a row they're going back in time and showing something that's not directly related to the main characters that we see. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. it, it's what it's doing is kind of um it, like fleshing out the world, like building out the world more more so than like the characters that were following throughout the main narrative so yeah it kind of reminds me of mind hunter like like with mine i mean mind hunter oh they, yeah they had some good cold opens but yeah and they had cold opens that you would like you'd look at it and you'd be like what how does the fuck does that even connect to the main story yeah because they yeah well that, sh- that shit got canceled and we'll never see that finish yeah because yeah. a lot of them were about the btk killer and yeah they were setting up something hopefully for like the next season that you know finally they wouldn't confront and encounter I think it makes killer. it more interesting now, though, in a way, because yeah. it's like it didn't connect to the story really, and they never even mentioned. Yeah, it didn't him. need to. I mean, they don't always need to connect. I mean, I think it it has to serve the main story somehow, whether it's used to like sneak in a theme or an idea that the rest of the show will explore, um, or something like that. It doesn't have to be direct, but if it touches on like a theme or an idea that the rest of the show is gonna flesh out, then that that's cool. But no, I love I love this. I like I like the feeling of like disorientation and have like it makes you lean in a little bit more. It makes you, it like pulls your focus a little bit more in when you're when you open up in like a an unf- when unfamiliar place with an unfamiliar character. Uh, it's almost like the show's like telling you, hey, you need to pay attention. Uh, you need to pay a little bit more attention than you are. Put your phone yeah, down, it you know broadens the scope. I, I like that. I, I I like the choice, especially knowing me knowing where the story's going, like how you mentioned. That it it has it should connect to the bigger themes. These these first two um, cold opens definitely do open, yeah. connect a lot to the big the the grander themes of the whole story. So and we weren't completely lost because Jakarta is mentioned in the premiere. So yeah. right away you're like, oh okay, this is like it, it it refers back to that, and you figure you're gonna see something, right? Yeah, but I kind of got it spoiled because I I watched a couple of um, YouTube breakdowns and. One of them mentioned that they had like a picture of of the set of a of a scene taking place in Jakarta, but I had no idea it was going to be 
this soon or it was going to be a cold open or how the scene was going to go down. They just had like a quick picture of the set. So when it came up this week, whoever I was, they were like saying, yeah, yeah, like we, we kind of knew about this. We knew they were filming on a set like this. So, but not in this context, obviously with the cold open and the doctor and and, and all that, the epidemiologist, right? Is yeah. Oh, well her, she, no, she was a professor in mycology. Oh, okay. Dr. Ibu Ratna. Uh, the epidemiologists were from episode one. Yeah. Some of my favorite, I just want to list some of my favorite cold opens, like, uh, or shows that do it really well. Like Sopranos, I think kind of was the first show to really do it a lot. Like, uh, one of my favorites is like the Cleaver, the Cleaver scene. For those who've seen the Sopranos, uh, Sopranos does it a lot, but the one that was particularly funny and like, what the hell is this? Cause it was a recognizable actor, but it's actually like a, so the 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 cold open is basically a scene from a movie that's being produced within the show. So uh, I don't know. That's one. Of, that's one of my favorites. Breaking Bad used to do this a lot, and they used to do it to really really good effect. Better Call Saul, of course, also did it. The Atlanta season three cold open. I know that you're a fan of that one. The one on the when they're on the lake. Uh, that one oh, kind of yeah, laid sick, laid dude, the groundwork yeah. for like the whole that, s- yeah. series. Um. Watchmen series did it pretty well with the Tulsa, the Tulsa riots. Um, the boys season three uh, with the, with the little ant guy where, you know, that whole crazy first scene where he explodes in the guy's dick. That was a cold open. Yeah. Like it really? just opens up on that party. Uh, movies also do this really well. Uh, nope. Did it really well. You know, with- I remember another one from the boys that was pretty gnarly with like the, like the um, Reddit bro. We've got like, he was like the, he was all on those, like for or those forum sites, and he got like all into it, and he ended up shooting that that dude. That one was pretty gnarly. Oh, that's right, that's right. Damn. Yeah. So uh, I I like I like cold opens. Uh, nope had a really good one this summer, um, with the chimpanzee on the show. If you haven't, if you guys haven't seen Nope, check it out streaming on Peacock. Uh, and Glorious Bastards. I don't know if that's like considered a cold open, but. I love the opening of that movie. It's sort of a cold open. Um, you get a showdown between uh, Christoph Waltz's character and that farmer who's harboring the the runaways. Um, all the Nolan films sort of kind of have a cold open, right? Like most of them have one. Um, Tenet is one of my... Uh, I love that opening scene. Uh, Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rise. Dark Knight, of course, but Dark Knight Rises is a pretty good one too, dude. That's like the most yeah. expensive action set piece of the whole film, and it's in the cold open with an actor you never see again. <laughs> little finger. Little finger. Shout out, little finger. Um. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, like uh, um, cold opens really are. I know I'm going on and on, but I'm just really a fan of this, and I'm, I'm curious to see if they're going to continue to do it throughout the show. It's a it's, if it opens next week with another one, then it's definitely yeah be a yeah like intentional type of thematic choice yeah for sure. But I do hope it like not to say that these haven't been great, but I do hope we open on one with like a few of the characters that we know at a different time, maybe like early in the early in the years post outbreak. Yeah, that's like, something like 2006, that a lot of people like are that. thinking cool. happens. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, so let's let's get back on track. Doctor Rat. So this this open this opens up with Doctor Ratna. She's an she's an expert mycologist, uh, which is the scientific study of fungi. She's uh you know just enjoying her lunch salad when all of a sudden the Indonesian authorities storm into this little restaurant and uh, haul her off. And um, 
you know, she's very confused as we are as the viewers. And then slowly the show begins to, uh, you know, present pieces of information uh, very slowly and methodically. And I love when a show does that. It's not the show's not holding your hand. Um, it, it it involves you almost. You feel like involved as an you really feel like locked into the moment when a show is like piecing out data and information this way. Um, so she she they ask her to basically examine a sample and right away she notices that the sample was prepared using chlorazol, which is a solution that's only used for human samples. So right away she's like on edge because this there's no way that a sample prepared with chlorazol would would have the cordyceps fungi on it because as we know cordyceps or chlorazol is only used to prepare human samples and cordyceps is not supposed to survive uh, in humans um, so she challenges the possibility of this particular's uh, fungi's survivability and the guy's like nah look look see for yourself lady come in here she busts out the hazmat never good never good when they have to bust out the hazmat any time you see someone pull out the hazmat, you know that that shit, that shit's going down, bro. I don't know about you, but I don't want to see a hazmat. I hope I never have to see a hazmat in real life. Um, but this next scene, really, really haunting, disturbing horror. Like I keep forgetting that this is like a horror show, you know, because it it's so rich thematically, and like uh, you don't really see a lot of TV shows uh, that are horror shows. But this is like another really like pulled out of something kind of. Uh, like John Carpenter, like The Thing, or, yeah, or something like that. Remind me of that. My, again, like my stomach was crawling. I just, I guess, I just got to get used to like this show making my my panza like feel like it's like tingling. <laughs> um, this particular infected was bitten on the ankle. You see the incision, the the fungi strands emerging from the mouth. All all, all this stuff. The, the, it looked really effective. The VFX looked really good. Um, anything you thought any any thoughts you had on this on like the VFX and that whole part of her examining the the corpse the I don't know if you or sorry if you mentioned already but um when she first makes the first incision on the bike on the ankle yeah and you can like see the fungus popping out they didn't show a lot of it but just like yeah that shit grossed me out oh that yeah grody yeah yeah for sure it, it, it like it was just nasty yeah and it looked, like I said it looks quote unquote great like 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 uh not great but like the vfx are great um she pulls the fungi out with her little tweezer she drops it in hard you never want to see like an expert like afraid and like running out of something like that's when you know shit is a uh shit is not good um then we get a little bit of an exposition dump but i thought it was done really like really really subtle and, and like you just see this this woman sitting on a couch it looks like someone's living room um and the information she's getting is like the worst ba- <laughs> the worst news possible ever like it reminds me of uh, owen wilson and armageddon like the worst environment imaginable possible or, or whatever he says but uh what this guy is telling her is basically her worst nightmare beyond her worst nightmare because this isn't even supposed to be possible um and what happens is there was an outbreak uh, that happened in a flower f- in a flower factory, basically like a flour mill, like flour used for baking. Doctor Doctor Ratna confirms that this makes sense. A flour factory, a flower factory in this particular climate is like a ripe environment for a fungi like this to to grow and thrive. She says it's a perfect substrate. Yeah, described right? as a perfect substrate. It's a a, yeah. dis- a disturbing use of the word perfect. You know, like 
uh yeah like perfect what's perfect about this but but you get the idea it's kind of if anything's gonna be perfect it's gonna be something that we don't want to be perfect yeah exactly like (laughs) i just thought it was an interesting way to describe something like um yeah so basically climate plus flower equals mutated cordyceps like i saw a breakdown about this and it's a little over my head i think ryan airy on screen crush kind of really went deep on this stuff like the flower and why this particular environment would why a fungi would thrive in that particular environment um so the story is a normal woman you know normal hard-working woman never never uh never been any trouble she becomes violent she attacks four of her co-workers she bites three of them uh they're like what the fuck is going on they lock her in the bathroom uh uh <laughs> i thought that was kind of a funny funny detail they didn't know what else to do but they knocked her in the bathroom the police came um maybe not the best guys for this job maybe they should have maybe just got like a cdc i don't know if there's a cdc in indonesia but again the police are called to uh to respond to a situation they may not be prepared for or equipped for something uh we see too often around here uh she tried to attack them and they shot her of course so that's basically the gist of it um the the three that were bitten were taken for observation and then they were executed too as part of what uh, this officer or this authority describes as protocol so um a whole this is what you would call a mess bro uh a, a pretty a pretty uh pretty messy situation so she asked is there any other people missing there's 14 14 are missing and uh you see her like sink in her sink she starts uh, her she's holding the teacup it starts to shake a little bit um, and that's when she knows that it's basically over for if 14 people are missing. That means there's 14 basically stock Posts. stalkers running out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this ties into the first episode. You were right, bro. I remember you called this out about the Atkins, about the flower, about the muffins. Uh, we talked about this, uh, the fact that that may be reason why, uh, Joel and Allie, weren't infected in that first outbreak is because they were uh not eating flour like uh, the atlers were so um yeah i kind of got it wrong though because I, I was thinking that they they didn't eat pancakes but i guess sarah mentions that they didn't have flour so i guess they made flour pancakes without flour yeah oat flour maybe that's what's know. up it's healthier <laughs> um and then nah but i saw that in a heavy heavy spoilers youtube account shout out heavy spoilers yeah. um yeah thank goodness that 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 uh Miss Atler wasn't making uh, chocolate chip cookies. Otherwise, Sarah would have had, read a, met a rather messier demise than she already did, you know, because they were raisin instead, so she didn't even mess with those cookies. But if they were chocolate chip, it might have been a might have been another story for this for everybody. Um, yeah, so like the sh- I don't think the show needed to explain why Joel and Sarah weren't infected, but you know there could be a million reasons why this isn't something you need to. Uh, explain but it just shows you how much attention to detail that the creators are are, are applying to the story the fact that they want to make sure that they cover everything in one way or uh, at least up to this point you know i'm sure that there will be questions we'll have that maybe don't make sense but this is a this is this just showed me that they're paying attention that they're very um yeah like i said attention to detail so the authority basically asks her, uh, we need you to create a vaccine. She says there's no such thing. And her professional expert opinion is simply a bomb. There's uh, no cure, no vaccine, only containment. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they use like bomb as like the, en- the English word bomb. 
it was very unsettling uh i don't think that bomb is like the universal word for bomb but um i wonder why they did that what do you do you have any reason why it's just it, just it, dramatic it translated effect. they still the subtitles were bombs so i was just assuming uh again so, sorry but i didn't know necessarily what language they were speaking but i was just assuming that that's you say it and that's how you say it in their language as well because some words they don't translate so mm. the if they end up using the word they just adopt it usually from a different language or it could be many reasons but i just assumed that that's how you say it in in whatever language they were speaking yeah I was surprised that this response came from a doctor. You know, usually other movies you see something like that come from like a government official or uh, like like a defense, uh, like the Department of Defense or something like that. But the fact that it came from a doctor, um, it's a, it makes it even more disturbing. It's it it, and I think the show runners did it intentionally just to emphasize the hopelessness of it all usually the doctors are like the ones saying no we can do this or we can do that in these types of movies but the doctor was like no the only answer is is to bomb everything so that made it even um even more disturbing um and then we'll see like a bo- the bomb tie-in a little bit later but um the fact that this was the impulsive response i think uh the show explores that a little bit a little bit more I just want to shout out the actress Christine Hakim. She's a renowned actress in in Indonesia and Thailand. She's won several awards, including a handful of a uh, lifetime achievement awards. So she she's she got down. I thought she she really did her thing, and um, apparently she's she's one of the one of the best coming out of there. Really cool to see, um, like an actress like that get get her shine, you know, and get in front of so many eyeballs and get get exposed to an audience that she otherwise may not have been exposed to. Um, yeah, she was great too. Like it um had it been like somebody not as experienced or if the direction wasn't there or what have you, the basically if the elements didn't all add up as good as it was, it could have easily came off a little corny and exposition heavy and all that. But it the especially the, the chemistry she had with the soldier in that in the scene when they were talking about dropping the bomb. And then she like, has thought, to be with the family. That, yeah, I thought they both amplified the scene like pretty well. Because, like I said, yeah, it could have, in lesser hands, it could have easily been, like, not as effective and not as, uh, it would, it came off a little, uh, corny, Like, melodramatic. Like yeah, melodramatic, for sure. Yeah, um, when she says, you know, I just want to be with my family, can someone take me home? That shit was, oh, man, that shit kind of got to me. Um, next scene, so we get the opening credits. I, I didn't, I don't think I noticed anything. Charlie, uh, for Emergency Awesome said he also didn't notice anything different with the credits. Usually, you know, when you see like a a sprawling opening credits that covers like a landscape, Game of Thrones used to play with that a lot. Uh, House of the Dragon is doing the same thing. I didn't, I didn't notice any changes. Maybe we'll see some changes now that they're in a different, they're going to be in a different geolog, geo, geographical location. But um, yeah, they're going to be moving a lot, yeah. a lot of, they're going to be going a lot of places. Yeah. So maybe we'll see it. Yeah, so we open up on this on this really beautiful shot of Allie, like in the fetal position, sleeping. There's a there's like a butterfly. We we've seen this butterfly um, echoed throughout the series so far. Uh, Ryan Airy from Screen Crush shouted out that you know um, on Sarah's pillow in the first episode, there's a butterfly, and then that first scene where Allie and Joel are speaking in the QZ, 
there's a there's like a decal of a butterfly on the window and then we see it again here and what you know what a butterfly represents is like new life right it's a little bit uh, uh, on the nose but uh, I, I still appreciate it and I just thought that was a really cool shot I thought this is such like an iconic intentional shot I, I asked you if it was from the video game um, but you said it wasn't so shout out to Druckmann for having the eye and the vision to to kind of drop us into episode two um like in this way um it's just like a it's just it's just crazy how much beauty and how how in particular this episode how uh, elegant and like beautiful the whole world looks even though it's like destroyed um i just thought the production design was really stellar here what'd you think about that shot no yeah it looked it looked great i thought it was cool i mean again most of the stuff from the game it's gonna kind of be hard for me to recall but yeah so yeah I feel like I, I feel like i would have recalled something like that a shot of a butterfly above her and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that so yeah i don't remember that from the game um but then but yeah i agree i i think a big theme and big like what's unsaid about this game is like how mother nature kind of overtakes everything once once civilization is gone yeah. and even though like yeah it's crushing and defeating to see everything that was once built be destroyed like it's a nice reminder to see that um nature on its own could thrive and be just as elegant and architecturally pleasing as some futuristic building like or some kind of creation by elon musk or some <laughs> shit you know yeah. like um mother nature in and of itself is is one of the best creators i guess i'm trying to say yeah so the next the next scene you see Joel he's just staring her down. Amy is gonna at her. This, this <laughs> he's very skeptical about her Im- immunity. It seems, and I just thought it was funny, like the look on his face. He's like just kind of like growling at her, do- dogging her, as we say. Um, and Tess is equal not not equally skeptical, but she's sharing uh, some some of Joel's skepticism. She wants some answers. She starts question. Excuse me. She starts questioning him or qu- questioning Allie. How did Marley find her? All this. So we find out that Marley found her after she was bitten. Um, rather than shoot her, she she chained her up and had her tested every day. So that explains why, um, you know, Allie was chained up. If we if um, we didn't already realize why that was, um, it wasn't just just to imprison some runaway kid. It was because Marley knew that she was bitten and was just seeing if she would turn. Um, yeah, the way she was tested was we saw the way she was tested. She talks about that. Uh again some sharp humor from Allie where she says uh she explains the test to them and she's all but I think they were most impressed by the fact that I didn't turn into a fucking monster. <laughs> <laughs> so again, uh a lot of snark, snarky snappy kid energy coming from Allie. Um for a moment we see Joel's hands tremoring but but he's it's broken, right? It's, he's not This is like a hairline yeah, fracture. Like hairline or something. fracture. Yeah. Um Joel is like ready to scrap the whole mission. Um, and again, I, I was wondering why he changed. He had such a change of heart. And I guess just the fact that Fedra's going to discover Lee and, uh, you know, a dead Fedra soldier. And I don't know why he would want to go back though, you know, or maybe he doesn't want to go. Well, he says he wants to go back, but um, I guess that changed his whole mind. The fact that they were spotted leaving the QZ um, because he's still not buying that Allie is 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 immune or that she she might be the key to something, but Tess is, wants to believe. Like Tess 
we'll see this more throughout the episode. She's kind of very curious and a bit hopeful. Again, like I, I mentioned this earlier about character being revealed through the like through them encountering different obstacles and, and decisions that they need to make. So at this point, they need to the decision that needs to be made is if they carry on with this or turn around. And the fact that Joel wants to turn around shows him that he has no hope. And the fact that Tess, you know, wants to continue so sh- shows that she does. So I thought that's kind of what I like, what I appreciate about this particular episode is that you see that a lot, like learning about the characters through the decisions that they have to make through the obstacles that they encounter and, and so on. Um, so they decide that the, that they're probably, that they're going to carry on. And then it's time for a little bit of lunch. They get some drier than bone beef jerky. Uh, you know, we see Joel piece of like a, this beef jerky struggle. Like a dog snack or something. Yeah. A <laughs> 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 little, little puppy snack. Yeah. Um, and Allie pulls out this chicken parm sandwich, like bigger than her head. I, I, I laughed at this. I don't know. That seemed a little uh, outrageous. A little. Yeah, it looks like they just picked it up from Vons or something. Like oh, that no. shit looked like. You're giving Vons too pristine. much credit, bro. That, that that was artisanal. That was some artisanal focaccia bread. Uh, I look like a Vaughn dude. The Vaughn sandwiches are huge, like that, and they're like nothing but bread. She like. Half of that shit was more than half of that shit she was chewing on was bread. Yeah, you're, just like a sandwich made from a fat ass French yeah. roll. Brandon's a, a harsh sandwich critic. He's very particular about his sandwiches. <laughs> I, I I would know, <laughs> but um, I thought it looked pretty good, bro. I don't know. I think I, I like bread, and the sandwich looked pretty good, especially. And I bet you look good to Joel and Tess too. They're struggling with that. No, well, that's the thing. It looked too good. Yeah. It looked like they just got that shit from how the did store. That shit like, keep, where are they getting? Yeah, how did that shit keep overnight? That? that shit looked yeah. fresh out of the out of the oven. Like <laughs> they got Carmi from the bear in the QZ or what? <laughs> like that's crazy. <laughs> Um, so Tess continues to push. She interrogates Allie. She wants to know more. Um, Allie coughs up some, some info that the Fireflies have a base camp west with doctors. So this is a new piece of info. And she believes that whatever happened to me, what Marlene was telling her was, whatever happened to me is the key to finding the vaccine. Joel kind of finishes her sentence. I like that part. It's kind of, he, he, he right away, he's like, spots this identifies this as bullshit calls it out i've heard this a million times before he says um and he seemed a little like hurt by this i wonder it made me think that maybe he bought in once to the idea of a cure and was like let down and so that's why this hits even harder for him you know what i'm saying i'm sure everyone has at this yeah, point true. seeing what the world has become you'd be stupid not to at least put a little bit of hope yeah or not stupid but you'd be like yeah, you'd want to put some hope into there being an end to it. Yeah, so he's basically has a huge wall up on, on the idea of a cure, um, and just just hope in general. Like this guy has, like hope. He doesn't want no part of it. If if hope was like a pres, like if Allie was presenting hope in Shark Tank, Joel is out. Like before she could finish her presentation, basically. And Tess is asking questions. You know, she's willing to make a deal, and she does. <laughs> um. I like the line. He says, you need to stop talking about this kid like she's got some kind of life in front of her. I thought that was an interesting line because could she be the key to all life, bro? I don't know. Is that foreshadowing, as they say? Um, no, I loved that line. Like, like knowing knowing what I know, especially from the second game, it's like, yeah, she she definitely has some shit. Ahead for her, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, okay. Take it easy there, bro. Uh, yeah. And then uh, 
as we see in episode one, Tess is a, is a master manipulator. She handles the, she finesses Joel right into doing what she wants again and going through with the job. Doesn't take much convincing. I don't know what spell she has over Joel, but it seems like she, she's really good at handling him. You know, I like that. Uh, or I think it's funny. You know, I just think that, that Joel is like, doesn't take much convincing. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's just too tired uh, to, 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 to argue anymore, but, um, she basically says it doesn't matter if they believe it's real or not as long as the fireflies believe it um what the, what they'll get is the supplies they need. She kind of tries to seduce Joel with and remind him, "Oh, what about the supplies?" cuz she knows that's like what he's really after. Um so again, like she's just, uh, another showcase of her manipulation skills here. Um next scene we see is uh the open city. I thought this was this is probably one of my favorite parts of the whole episode. Uh, when Allie steps out into the open city, she's in awe. Like the look on on uh, on Bella Ramsey's face, I thought she was really excellent in this episode. And some nonverbal moments, and just how she's taking everything in, whether it's the the demise of the city or the clickers or 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 anything else. Like she she does a lot of really good response acting, and and uh, I thought the visual effects look incredible. Reminded me of like Inception, the way that building's kind of tipping over. The way that the vines are overtaking all the buildings kind of reminded me of I Am Legend. I just thought the the design of that was just incredible, beautiful. Is that, is that what it looks like in the game too? Like the buildings and stuff? Yeah, but this section's at night. But even then, it still looks looks really good. Yeah. The, and, the, and like I mentioned last week, which is what I was kind of bummed about from this episode, is they didn't um, explore like the leaning buildings. Really. Yeah. They, they showed them, but they never – like there's a whole level – that takes place in that area with, with Tess and with Allie. And that's where you first encounter the clickers mm. and like the physics behind that are, are really cool. Cause like everything's at an angle. And when you're looking out into the city, like from the inside of the building, everything just looks crazy. Kind of adds on to the difficulty of, of uh, killing the clickers or like the game yeah, level. Yeah, it, just, it just looks cool. Cause everything's like at like the weird, like side angle. So it just looks tight. I thought the but, birds were a nice touch. Like that's like a, a gif I want to see on Tumblr. Hopefully, I'm gonna to try to look for on Tumblr. Yeah, it probably and, and for TV sake, like for a live action um, adaptation, it would. I don't think it would look as good if it was in the rain and at night. So, but I still was bummed about the them not committing to that that level because that level sick. Yeah, maybe they'll like my favorite levels maybe they'll the mess around with it in the next ep- in the future episodes. I doubt um, it. But we'll see. So they're, they're, they're trekking through the city. There's a bomb crater, so it kind of ties back into the cold open. Um, Tess mentions that, you know, that they bombed. It worked here, but it didn't, mo- in most places, it, if Boston is what it looks like when it worked, I wonder what the what the hell it looked like when it didn't work. You know what I'm saying? Like, Boston is in rubble. Uh, there's uh, <laughs> um, a dictatorship that, w- that that was made in the QZ. Like, this is what working, it just shows you, like, this is like the best case scenario what happened in Boston. So you can only imagine what 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 it looks like in other places in the world. Um they talk about going the long way or the short way and they they basically say they have to check the hotel first and they kind of establish that this is something this isn't Joel's first rodeo, right? Like they've done this several times. They're smugglers, they're used to coming in and out of the city. Um we learn we learn about Allie a little bit um through like this this part she, she though she she came out very tough and like ready to go like she 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 was brandishing a knife ready to ready to cut Joel the first time she met him um she's really scared and paranoid she keeps asking where the infected are 
she's like what 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 i thought why aren't they swarming us like when when is it going to happen it's quiet out here she's she seems like it seems like the tough outer shell that she 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 was exhibiting in the first episode is a bit of a front when she's actually in the shit in the open city um you see that you you're reminded that this is just a kid and she mentioned in the episode 1 that she she was actually never been outside of the QZ so that explains it but i just thought it was an um interesting like juxtaposition from what we saw from her in episode one just her being a very vulnerable very scared and and kind of uh, uh paranoid almost she keeps like turning her shoulder and asking where everything is and, and stuff uh, yes i mean she was well she says it in this episode that she was bitten when she was exploring the mall so she's obviously dealing with a little bit of ptsd from that exactly yeah yeah, yeah. true um, and there's a lot more to that story that she keeps under wraps. Yeah, she um. So that's she expl- So Tess. That's basically my next point is Tess is asking her what her story is. How she, you know how she was bit, and she like you said, bit in the mall in the QZ that no one's supposed to go inside of. So again, you learn that Ali's a bit of a rebel. Um, and she it seems like she's lying about being alone. Tess asks if she's alone, and she says yeah, but the camera kind of focuses in on her and seems like she's she may have not been alone maybe that's what you're talking about no spoilers but i think everyone can deduce from her response there that she may have not been alone uh you got some balls on you sister uh so this was a little bit of a bonding moment i feel like tess and and ally are kind of um bonding in this moment they're walking by themselves as joel trails them i know i know i i uh i had uh mentioned that i don't know if like we earned what happens later on in the ep- and then and at the end of the episode but upon rewatch i really see a couple of different moments where tess and ali are, are are bonding um and again ali's just asking about you know she wants to just know basically all the things about the infected and then you hear them scream uh it's pretty pretty scary sounding scream um and they finally reach the hotel and you see some ducks. I, I wonder. Maybe every time I see ducks on TV, I think it's a nod to a Sopranos. Because I just assume every TV writer and creator is a fan of the Sopranos. So if there's ducks, uh, they're just shouting out David Chase and team over there. The HBO connection. Yeah, the HBO. Um, I thought it was funny. Like, uh, so you learn a little bit more about Tess. I guess she was just working class, middle class. She can never stay at a place like this nice. Uh, you learn that Ali can't swim. Of all the obstacles that writers like to insert into their stories, I'm always surprised at how often can't swim is used. You know, Kino Loy, or R.I.P. Kino Loy. Uh, we saw this. We saw this used in Avatar too, as well. So, uh, but it makes sense. You know, she grew up in the QZ. There's no fucking pools. There's no beaches. Why would she know how to swim? Um, but yeah. that, I, I see. I learned that this was like create. This was used to create like many challenges in the video game. A lot of the game is like spent. She's annoying. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Like I, I bet you some gamers had like uh, PTSD from from hearing her say that. Yeah. But luckily the water's only you know it's only knee deep, so we don't have to worry about Joel. Yeah, you used to have to go get like there are mul- like multiple sections. Like you'd have to go find a convenient ass pallet floating in the water, and then you go or Joel go swim to it. And then you find where Ali was, and then she'd jump on it, and then you would like push her <laughs> in the pallet boat to wherever we needed to go. Yeah, it's kind of it sounds kind of boring, but yeah, yeah, I mean a lot of these games have sections like puzzles, like that. basically yeah. puzzles. Yeah. I thought the set puzzles. looked incredible; like it all looked really like practical, it looked crazy. I thought it looked great. Again, shout out to to the production and set design. Um, this little silly hotel role play scene. 
uh, pulled directly from the game, right? I thought that was. Yeah, I guess it was at a later time though when they weren't with Tess. Yeah, I, I don't remember that detail, but. And we get some humor. I know we mentioned this in like the hype episode about hopefully there'd be humor sprinkled throughout. Um, and every time they come, I'm just, uh, they land. Most of these jokes land pretty well for me, but I thought that was funny. You're a weird kid. And she snaps right back at him. You're a weird kid. I don't know. I, I love that part. Um, being a weird kid yourself, I'm sure you, you appreciated this, this moment, right, bro? Yeah, I honestly didn't even remember that it was that that this was like verbatim in the game. Yeah, like I, I thought it was like something made for the show because it sounded like it was something made for the show. Yeah, I, I don't think her res- or her responding "You're a weird kid" back was in the game. Oh shit! All right, sh- but her, him calling her a weird kid in the game is straight. Shout from out Bally, Bella Ramsey. That's called imp- improv, bitch. Yeah, yeah, maybe or I don't know. Who knows these days? It's hard to tell. Yeah, people say, "Oh yeah, I improv that," and then you later find out, no, you didn't. So, just depends. But yeah, it seemed I liked it. It was funny. Yeah, Allie's very jumpy. You see the skull floating in the water, and and uh, kind of like a jump scare there. I thought that was funny, and and uh, Joel like like helps her get out of that, get out of there, and he has to grab her by her arm. He's very like grossed out by touching her. I thought that was like uh, interesting. Pedro does this a couple times throughout the episode where he has like these reactions that may not have been in the script, like. After he touches her hand, he kind of like, w- like wipes his hand on his jacket. I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't yeah, notice that. Thought no. it was funny in it. Full doesn't want to get sick. <laughs> yeah, he's very. He doesn't believe. He, he's. I didn't survive. I didn't make it to fifty six. <laughs> uh, so they they uh they're trying to get to the rooftop. Basically, that's the whole mission. They get up there. Uh, t- I get apparently Tess and Joel have bad knees. They're like they're worn out. I, you know, old people hate stairs. We know from our parents that. They they'd rather walk half a mile to get to an elevator or an escalator than to have to go up a couple of flights of stairs. And uh, I'm starting to feel that too, bro. Stairs, stairs. Um, um, I, I try to avoid stairs. Fuck, that sucks. Yeah, get you get ready. I know you you go for the stairs sometimes if you're feeling good. Dodger Stadium, I see you go for the stairs, but nah, me, I'll take the escalator. Um, we see that there's a there's an obstruction to the roof, which is new. Uh, Tess says she'll climb through, even though Allie wants to, you know, she's begging them. I want to, you know, put, put me in. She's basically giving, put me in coach energy here. She wants to be a part of, she wants to be a part of it. You see this a couple of times throughout. I thought that was kind of cute. Um, but this allows some space and a moment between Joel and Allie. They ask where you're from. And, and, uh, we learned that there are schools, albeit really shitty ones. Uh, like Joel says, or I'm sorry, Allie says, yeah, really shitty schools. I don't know. Uh, so not much has changed, bro. Uh, uh, from here, from from then until now, um, she again, she's very. She wants to know all about the infected. We learned that some of them last up to twenty years, but most of them only a few months. And I was wondering, like, what determ what determines how long a a clicker lasts or how long their their lifespan is. I wonder if it's if it's grit. Some of them are just they got no quit, or it's a work ethic, or 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 what is it? But determination. But uh, maybe it just it depends how how much they had how much like bread was in their diet. <laughs> I think it's like if they could feed, honestly. <laughs> in all seriousness, um, if they're more used to if if they were gluten free, then they wouldn't last longer. But the the anti gluten free people are probably the ones lasting the longest. Now. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we learned that Joel has killed lots of infected. He says lots. Um. And 
And it seems like, like Ali may have too. She asks him how he feels about it. The fact that they were people once. Um, she's kind of trying to get him to open up, but he's not really having it. Um, she wants to know more about this guy that she's that has been trusted to take care of her. So, um, yeah, and he's just not giving her anything really. But um, he gave her more than I thought he would, though. Yeah, he tells her where you know where they're from and stuff. Texas he mentions that he's from Texas. I I guess that's that's just kind of coming from Pedro. Like Pedro has. He has that dad energy now. So even when he's not necessarily trying or even when he's trying to be harder, you kind of see it peek through like, like, no, like you're, you're nice. You're actually got some nice guy energy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You you obviously care for her at least a little bit. So we'll see that more uh, throughout the rest of the episode. Um, So then they finally get to the rooftop and we, this is like our real first look at, the infected in present day, basically. Uh, they're like crawling. I guess they're at the stalker phase, but uh, we learn a lot about them here. Most of the infected are people who came looking for the QZ. So that's how this population of infected has grown. Um, Tess tells Ellie that people come looking for the QZ and there's a few, st- of course, there's stalkers running throughout the city. And the more people that come looking for the QZ, the more uh, the more food there is there for the stalkers that are the stalkers and clickers and bloaters that are already there. And that's how like that population grows. And then we also learned that the fungus grows underground. So this is a, this is a new show invention, a new development in the story. She just uh, test describes them as long fibers, like wires, some of them stretching over a mile. And uh, that's, that's, that's pretty terrifying. So you, you need to watch your step and tread lightly. Uh, and basically, and this kind of replaces like the spores from the game, right? Spores were were one of the ways that the virus could spread in the game, but they've kind of replaced that. They didn't want actors masked up. Um, spores kind of create a couple of uncinematic choices that that I think the the creators didn't want to have to deal with here. So this is this is an interesting substitution. Yeah, and then Mason did also say like like just the idea of spores only being contained to one place was. I guess it bothered him. Mm-hmm. But then they also mentioned recently in an interview that they might come around for the second season. I hope they come around for, for the second season, honestly, because I like the idea of the spores. It just yeah, kinda, in certain areas, it would make yeah. sense. but um, Like deep underground, because there's a lot of deep underground missions in the, throughout the series. Yeah. So as Tess is explaining all this to Allie, she kind of reminds her that... Um, Though you're you're immune to the virus, to the cordyceps and you know and virus, you're not immune to being ripped apart. I like that line. I thought that was effective. Kind of um, establishes a new rule in the show, and kind of places you know reminds the viewers of the danger that Allie is in. You you might forget just because she's immune or something that she's not as in danger as the rest of the characters on the show. But the fact that like Tess says here is that that there's several ways ways to die in this world like it's not just by being infected you can fall off a building or trip or set one of these off get torn apart drown uh you know there's several ways to die basically and uh i like that that this exchange kind of reinforces all the different dangers that exist in the world um so we finally uh as they're approaching the museum so they finally walk over to the museum and you see that there's just 
dry strands of fungus everywhere. And I guess what this means is that um, most of the infected are, are, are done, like like described as done, like the one uh, that Joel described as done in the first episode where he said this one's done. But uh, he describes like the fungi as being bone dry, and that's kind of an indicator that there's no threat or that most of the, or that this particular strang, strand of fungi is dead and therefore cannot communicate with like the main um, network of fibers that, yeah, the roots are expired. Yeah, basically. Uh, so again, the show does a really good job of like doling out this information and 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 the way that the world works. Kind of um. Yeah, I didn't hear Jasmine, our sister, asking too many questions just because the show. If she, if you're patient enough, the show's gonna, uh, you know, reveal it, reveal the rules to you. So I, I, I like that, and it makes it pretty clear. And you see them honored throughout. Um, sometimes a show will, or, or a TV show or a film will, will establish rules and then break their own rules or not honor the rules. You see basically every rule that's been introduced so far in this world is not only honored but used to kind of elevate the tension and elevate the stakes. So um, that just shows that, it's a, that, the, the, that the creators are um, being thoughtful about the world building, you know. Yeah, and it, it does also amplify, like, at least aesthetically the whole like reliance on the show's art direction with the roots mm-hmm. everywhere because now every time we see um certain like um roots or greeneries and areas we're going to be thinking oh well are there roots under there or is that part of the fungi or is that just a tree or whatever yeah. or, or is that just vegetation or is that a whole other system that's connected to the hive mind i did kind of like it i guess people were sent were saying that um, they kind of stole this aspect or this, um, I guess for lack of better words, game mechanic, even though this is the show, from this game called Days Gone, which is another PlayStation game. It, it actually starred Sam Witwer, the the dude in, who voices a lot of the Star Wars characters. Oh, yeah, Goat. Um, yeah. It, that game wasn't as popular, but a lot of the uh, diehard fans made it trend that night this episode aired because they were saying, like, that's from Days Gone, like the whole hive mind idea they stole that from days gone and then then people were saying make a days gone show now Mm. we should make we should watch that you ever play that that? was kind of interesting i played it for like one one day i just i couldn't really get into it yeah people are also referencing the stranger things like the upside down the fact that the upside oh yeah that's another yeah um it's good so yeah the, the the fact that the fungi's dried out you know suggests that there's no threat basically and uh we get another quippy. This time uh, we get some snark and some snappiness from Joel. He asks Allie if Marlene equipped her with a flashlight or only sandwiches. And <laughs> I thought that was funny. He's, it's a good callback because earlier she's, she said like something about, like, oh, I guess I'll just throw my sandwich oh, at Oh, yeah, them. that's right. Yeah. He's still thinking about that sandwich. He's still got that on the on, on the mind. <laughs> um, yeah, the flashlights are a com- like a common thing in the game, right? So it's cool to see the show pay homage to, to the flashlight. To the flashlight element um uh, yeah, some easter egg for the gamer yeah. gamer community ali ali uh proclaims i have a spare hand joel says congratulations uh so so so, so now joel's dish joel's learning to dish it right back so i'm like i'm liking what i'm seeing from joel he can he can dish it out too uh as we see um I thought there was the another one of my favorite shots of the episode is the the cool overhead shot of them entering the museum. It's told from like God, like the God view, right? Uh, a lot of cool filmmaking flourishes are, spr- are sprinkled throughout the episode, but um, 
that uh, that's always a cool it's always a favorite of mine when like the camera's directly facing downward and you see you know it's, it's, i think it's what's described as like the god view or the god point of view um once we're inside the the museum um yeah once we're inside the museum we see that many of the there's still there's like corpses of infected but Joel says no don't worry they're cooked uh I thought that was a funny usage of the word cooked it reminds me of like what sports pundits use to to, to describe uh like uh, players like who are who are performing uh like Tom Brady would is a you see a lot of people saying Tom Brady's cooked or so some people are past cooked. their prime huh past their yeah, prime past their prime so these these infected are past their prime, basically. And then we see a fresh dead body. Like, this one's not bitten. It looks like it was beaten to death, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like heads kind of, like, cracked. Yeah, so, like, they're not used to seeing bodies like this. But as we know, people are still killing people in this world. It's not um, all the deaths and murders we see are not um, all at the hands of the infected. People have kind of turned on each other. So I still wonder what happened to that to that um to that corpse like i wonder why the clicker didn't bite him or if it's just take i don't know yeah clickers usually bite in the game i couldn't really see a bite mark he was wearing like some thick clothing but it was like all ripped up and yeah. stuff um i thought bella ramsey's reaction to it here was kind of cool and funny does she say she oh, was like holy shit what did yeah, that i think yeah. she says that holy and then she shit. meant i'm not sure if it was here but she does mention around this time in the episode um she asked about like like the other kinds of infected and she she kind of alludes to um hearing about bloaters obviously she doesn't call it a yeah bloater, it's when they're walking like, yeah yeah she's like is there some that like throw gas like poisonous gas at you or something yeah i thought that was funny hopefully we get to see that yeah and and tess and joel respond like hope not or like they at least them themselves haven't reached that um or haven't encountered an infected that that's sick yet but yeah at that stage yeah, the bloater yeah. stage excuse me uh so they begin to walk up the stairs this is like a really suspenseful tent tense tent sequence i thought it's really well done you see that the fungus is everywhere i thought again like i keep shouting out the production design but this episode just looks ex- like exquisite as far as um like the practical like none of it all looked real you know it looked like someone actually built this and designed this and that they that and you can see the clear difference between the dead fungi and the other like strands of of vines that you see um so it makes it it communicates to the viewer exactly what you're seeing there's not a lot of confusion and at the same time it looks it looks stellar um so yeah that that whole sequence kind of reminded me of a quiet place he says you know we have to be silent not quiet i thought that was a cool line kind of a clear distinction between what needs to happen kind of again um establishes the stakes lets them know exactly what what needs to be done uh the show does a really good well uh a really good job of um of showing what's at stake and what needs to be done for what 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 the next encounter sequence will be once they're inside it's called independence hall i thought it was i thought it was funny there's like a lot of artifacts a lot of you know we we kind of idolize a lot of these artifacts in museums and the fact that it's all been run down i think that's a commentary on what we kind of decide is important you know and the fact that all this stuff in the end might not matter like like uh i think station 11 might say otherwise but maybe art or history yeah but this isn't really art this is more yeah, yeah, like yeah. um 
his history based items like there's a lot of history buffs out there but yeah it is i thought the same thing i was like it looks funny how the uh, these are just like basically junk in the background yeah now. yeah and at some point they were super significant you had, you had to get a ticket to get into this room alone yeah. probably yeah. and now they're just walking through it like it's any other street sign or any other landmark that's bombed to shit yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I thought it was a bit of an indictment on, on, um, yeah, like I said, our obsession with this stuff. Not my obsession. I'm not particularly. Th- there are some things that I think are important for sure in history, like uh, artifacts and stuff. But I think we pay uh, much too attention to some of that stuff. Anyways, um, like there's like a loud collapse as they once they enter the independence hall there's like a loud collapse of like a roof or something inside of a closet and that's what the infected is alerted by and then we hear that first click that like that very first time we hear that first click and like i mentioned earlier the sound design was pretty awesome and frightening the way that 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 it clicks reminded me of signs i don't know if you've heard that but you know how the signs alien kind of makes like click 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 like yeah like clicking noises yeah uh, is that what it sounds like in the game, or is it different? Yeah, it sounds just like that. Yeah, yeah. They're saying it. They use the same exact voice actors. Too. That's crazy. Yeah. We get the first look. We see like the stilted, sudden movements. The way they move is very disturbing and unnerving. You know. Shout out to the body acting. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine fakers should take note of of the way that these infected <laughs> are moving around. I love those videos. <laughs> are funny. Because that's what it really. That's what it. <laughs> that's what it would really look like. Okay. So watch episode two. Pfizer vaccine fake fakers and uh and do do better do better um yeah this whole sequence was just incredible i was on the uh, you know uh, we could you know we watched it with with mom and she was kind of on the edge of her seat leaning forward and everyone else in the room was um reminded me of jurassic park you know you could see a lot of ref a lot of references paying homage to to jurassic park and we realized that this is the first time that ali sees a clicker and and she like breathes audibly and she sh- and uh, you know you get that money shot of the clicker with the flashlight i guess it was in the trailer but that was my first time seeing it but um the split yeah. tooth thought it looked incredible yeah. bro like yeah i was here for it i thought it looked incredible excellent neil, neil Druckmann said in the after show that the first time he saw like the practical effect of it brought tears to his eyes i was like oh shit that, that's crazy you know to see your vision fully in the real world is probably something special for him so um but it, i i i understand what he means and i thought it looked it looked incredible i'd love to see like a behind the scenes on the different prototypes and like you know conceptual art of these things but uh what the, the final version um looks great um yeah it looks dope for sure and then Joel is not perfect either. He steps on glass, breaks his own rules. So I thought he was, we were supposed to be silent, but uh, yeah, silent, not quiet. Joel, what the fuck? What, what happened? He slipped, even him, he slips up. He's human. He attacks. He, he uh, steps on glass. They attack him. One of them. He misses a bunch of shots yeah. too. <laughs> he unloads the clip on his ass. Uh, yeah, again, like this, I mentioned this, I keep mentioning this, but the the character, characters revealed through action, right? You see that Joel... He's constantly like shielding Allie. He's very protective. That just um, that's you learn. What are you learning about Joel? The way that he's moving like this and behaving like this. You 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 learn that there's still some humanity left within him. Otherwise, he would say, "Fuck it, this is my way out. Let her die." And like now, now what's Tess gonna say? You know what I'm saying? So the fact that he's protective of her, um, 
<laughs> it's like it's, I would argue more at this point in the game in the story. It's more so like old habits dying hard and like muscle that memory too. kind of kind of second nature For kicking sure. in because it seems at least from his dialogue and his mannerisms like he has himself convinced like no I don't give a fuck about her but his body language and and all the other things that you just mentioned speak otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I just think otherwise. it's great when a show's action um, kind of, uh, yeah, just tells you more about the character and makes sense about the character. Sometimes you see, you don't see, the, you don't always see that happen. And I don't think a lot of, I think some creators, creators sometimes forget that characters don't change who they are just because there's an action scene and they all of a sudden they become over brave or they do things that that, that they may, that you have no idea they they were possible of doing or they were capable of doing or um but yeah seeing how he is protective seeing how Ellie is like naive and afraid uh you know that shows who she is through this action seeing that seeing how Tess kind of comes in and saves them at the end uh shows that she's brave you know like all these little characteristics and uh uh, are revealed through this this sequence um we so they 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 kill the 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 clickers Tess comes in in the last second and kills that second one um Allie's bit again Tess has a twisted ankle so they didn't come out unscathed but uh they survive it they're on the museum on the rooftop and you, again you see like I, I you see how much Joel cares not just about he's not just protective in nature but he's protective of Tess, you know the way he's taping is taping her up the focus he's has like that like pedro's little like non-verbal subtle it's subtle but the way that he's really focused on like taping up her ankle um just shows you that he cares about her and just shows you who he is without telling you you know i appreciate that um he's even more skeptical now that she's been bitten twice you know he mentions yeah the first time but what about the second time he just really um he really wants out of this thing and finally, Tess is like fed up with this, like shit. She's sick of the doom and gloom. She um says, Get, "Just, just stop. Why don't you want to believe in something for the first time, or like try believing in something?" And he just refuses to. Uh, I'll talk about this more later, but it seems like he just doesn't want to be hurt. I think that's what it is. And and Tess sees that as like a this is Tess exhibiting her bravery and courage again. The fact because it requires courage to be hopeful, right? Like. You're vulnerable when you're hopeful. So we see that Tess is brave. Joel is brave in his own right, but not in, not emotionally brave, right? He's brave in like the real world, but not so. Uh, but he's not ready to be hurt, hurt again, the way he the way he was in the past. And I think he really doesn't want to believe this just because he doesn't want to be hurt again. But um, Tess is not, she's not here for it anymore. All he cares about at this time is just about surviving and getting and making it through and even though he doesn't really mention it as if not at all this episode the motivation for getting to tommy is still there I yeah think. and um with tess i mean she verbalizes it at the beginning of the episode it was kind of a corny line i thought it was funny it made me laugh she's like uh me and joel aren't good people and we're like yeah no shit yeah, dave like, chen did not like that line <laughs> yeah he called that like, line we, out drag he called it clunky he's like yeah we're like we, yeah we know but yeah so that's how the episode starts with her and by the end she's just clinging to this pretty good bet at some form of redemption with Ali's um you know being immune Ali's immunity to Tess at least is a manifestation of a lot of good that can come out of 
their mission and and can basically offset all the bad stuff they did in the past. Yeah. And I mean, and if we're being honest, if we're looking at the grand scheme of things, Ali's the mission with Ali is as good of opportunity as any to right the wrongs, at least in this world. Yeah, for sure. And at least for this character of Tess. Yeah. So, um, Ali catches Ali catches up with her. Joel catches up with Ali. She's looking at the view. You can see the state house now. That state house always reminds me of the of the Departed. I don't know about you, but it reminds me of that rat in the Departed. You know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's like the first time I saw it. Yeah. So me and Jasmine, <laughs> when we went over there. We saw it in in person. Well, that was after the Departed, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. But the I thought that whole scene looked great. The FX looked great. I wonder if it's like on the volume. I'd love to see how they shot that, or if it's just green screen. But regardless, it looked great. Um, this is pulled directly from the game, right? He's like, hope you like the view or some view, right? And she's like, yeah, ju- the jury is still out or, or some pulled directly from the game. So a lot of nods to the game throughout this episode. But Joel still, even even though Tess keeps um, you know, protesting for him to lighten up, he's still eyeing Allie, making sure she doesn't tremor or anything. He's like really on edge about her. He uh, made me think like this, this motherfucker must love his life. The fact that he is like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so um, afraid to die or so unwilling to die. Like, uh, it just made me think, like, this this guy loves his life, just regardless of how uh, bleak it is. I think at Marceau, he's just so conditioned and basically he's good at being a survivor. You yeah. You know, like, I'm, I'm, it's pretty I'm easy fun, to yeah. die in this world. And for him to make it this far, he has to, you know, be in that mindset constantly of just like, I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive and do whatever it takes to get there. I mean, he's, he's eased up a bit and obviously he's not, I mean, at least from what I've seen and and from the character in the game, he's not doing things that are as like morally like very wrong. I mean, he's still doing some gnarly shit, but compared to what he alluded to in his past, he's eased up a bit, but, He's eased up and he's got basically he's gotten better at surviving in a less dangerous way, I guess. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. It's I mean, obviously the world is still dangerous out there, but he's tweaked his habits and his his actions to avoid um consequences and dangers in all facets and yeah, I think he he's just stuck in his ways a bit and he's more so conditioned than anything. No, yeah, you're making great points, I think. I'm just making fun of him, bro. Yeah. <laughs> So we reach the the state house and outside there's no activity some right away you know Joel's um you know he's skeptical suspicious there's no activity something's up you see blood leading up to the steps you go inside everyone's dead well you see some dead bodies on the outside too in the truck you go inside everyone's dead you see one of them one of them got bit apparently the healthy ones fought the sick ones and everyone lost uh, so kind of a, a tie back, a tie, a tie in, or a call back to the first episode where he talks, uh, where Doctor Newman mentions that you know we lose, like you kind of, I, I made me think of that. Uh, Tess is like, she's de- she's kind of like devastated by what's happened. She starts to panic. She's like, because her whole idea of hope again is like crumbling. She starts to see it crumbling in front of her. So it's kind of a it's kind of a shattering moment just to see someone who throughout the whole episode is very hopeful and like trying their best to hold on to like the last speck of hope that she can generate starting to see it unravel here um it was kind of pretty i don't know it it got to me a bit she's looking for a map um 
Joel kind of tries to have an I told you so moment, but even he doesn't feel good about what's going on, it seems. Um, he says, all right, now this is time to go home. We need to go home. And Tess says, that's not her home. I thought it was interesting that Joel called the QZ his home. And Tess says, it's not my fucking home. Like, uh, she finally, like, puts her foot down and tries to get the message to to Joel that she doesn't want to go back there. She's done. She's done with that fucking place. Um, so like, yeah, like I said, it's pretty devastating to see like the little bit of hope she's been able to piece together threatened again. And ultimately, um, or, or, you know, just to see that she's kind of unraveling here. We then learn that she's been infected, kind of, kind of bitten her on the neck. What we saw was like five to 15 minutes to turning in the episode and that, on that, in episode one in that, um, that uh like that display of how fact fast people can get infected depending on where they're bitten but it's kind of like on the borderline i guess of like the torso and the head so it makes sense that she hasn't turned yet but i was i thought that was um yeah the state house looked hella far from because when they saw the state house in the distance that was after the encounter with the clickers yeah, yeah. right yeah and i was thinking i was like damn they must have hauled ass yeah well she there. was hauling ass i don't know if you noticed too but yeah. she's like hauling ass because she knows she knows yeah and she is hauling ass but um and it's, it looks pretty bad. Like any minute now, she's probably turning. And she, um, you see, she asks Allie to expose her bite, and you see that it's already healing. You know, that's pretty crazy. And she tells Joel, she says, Joel, look, she's fucking real. I thought this was a, a, a really good piece of acting from Anna Torv here. Um, and then she comes up with a new plan. Take her to Bill and Frank. They'll take it from there. You'll know what to do. She tries to give him a pep top, th- or pep talk. This whole thing is, is pr- really a... Anna Torv really shines in this moment. Um, she, some of the writing is really beautiful, kind of heartbreaking. I've never asked you for anything to feel the way I felt. It kind of just shows you that Joel really didn't ever open himself up again um, after losing Sarah. You know, maybe he might have slept with her, kept her around, but he never really loved her the way that she loved him. Or you, you, you know what I'm saying? He didn't commit to like a deep emotional bond yeah. with her. As a survival yeah, exactly. Um, and she kind of mentions this and just all the shit we did, you know, it, it says enough without saying, without having to say too much or, you know, you kind of get the idea that they're bonded through kind of traumatic things that they've had to do or they're basically bonded through trauma, which you see, you know, that's what a lot of people actually go, that goes on a lot in the real world. Um, that's all there is. <laughs> yeah. But she basically says, you know, if this is your this is your opportunity to set everything right and save who you can. The fact that Tess is like brave and courageous, she, you know, she, we see this throughout the episode. She climbs through the rubble. She offers to climb through the rubble to get to the top once they encounter that obstruction. She takes on a clicker by herself. She saves Joel and Allie at the end. Mason mentions on on the uh, Craig Mason, the show showrunner, one of the showrunners, mentions on the the official HBO podcast that she is brave enough to dare to hope. Um, the way she, the quote unquote, she is brave enough to dare to hope because to be like what we mentioned earlier, to be hopeful it, it is to be vulnerable. And it made me think of like the title of the episode infected. This is, this might be a reach, but like hope is infectious. Right. And Tess has been infected with hope by Allie and she's trying to infect Joel too. Uh, but it's a bit of a reach, but maybe. I mean, it definitely helps. There's a visual aspect yeah. to it and it's like, it's not. Like goes back to that even even more corny saying of seeing is believing, yeah. 
you know, it'd be one thing to be like, well, I'm immune. We'll prove it. Right. Yeah. But I just wait till I get bit. But it's like, no, it's like, no, I'm fucking I'm immune. Yeah. It's and it's nothing like this kind of connects to the second game, but like religious zealots and, and people who have myths, who have their own myths in this time frame are still around. Mm-hmm. You know, so like they claim a lot of things, but people can never be for sure. But in Ali's case, like you can clearly see if you give her the time, like she's been bitten and and she's clearly immune. So that in and of itself is able to, you know, speed up the process in terms of people changing their minds about their beliefs in, in this, like the state of the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, and so the next thing you see is an infected jolting back to life. Joel shoots it, act, and that undiv- uh, excuse me, that activates the fungi, and that basically uh, the fungi shouts, "Kyla, everyone, come, come here, run, run through. This is fresh meat over here." Uh, Tess starts tossing over gas barrels. That that sound that felt a little convenient. You know, the fact that there's gas barrels everywhere. Some video yeah. game shit. And um, I'm surprised they weren't red. Yeah, and she in video games shoot him, shoot the red barrels. <laughs> And she, um, she kind of, um, yeah, she begs, she's basically begging Joel to do this, right? And she basically says, save who you can save. And this is a line that, that really, um, that upon second viewing, I'm like, I I, I think I see what she means here. She's, uh, it seemed like there's more there, the way that it pauses a bit, save who you can save. Um, and I think she's seen Joel, like, deal with the regret of not of letting Sarah down or not protecting her and and the everything he's done since then has maybe been some sort of response to his failure as a father or what he considers his failure as a father he's trying to like so she she's saying that this is an opportunity for redemption you can't save Sarah that's you know that's that's in the past but this is an opportunity for you to save someone you still have the yearning to save something right like it's in his nature to be heroic, I think, a little bit. But um, when there's nowhere to place that heroism or there's nowhere to kind of um, live out what you feel you weren't able to in, a, in another instance, it can drive you a little bit mad. And that's what I think has happened to Joel. But she's saying, look, here's an opportunity, a space for you to get this out. Like she, maybe she's seen flashes of it or yearnings for it throughout their relationship and and I think this speaks to him, the fact, and she, she, he knows, he seems to know exactly what she's talking about. Um, the fact that this may be a, a way to kind of avenge Sarah in, in an indirect way. Did you, did you, did you think about that at all? What do you, what do you, am I, am I reaching here? Uh, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but I think it connects more to the, the end of this story. Yeah. But, it, what I just thought, it's like, he obviously doesn't believe he can save himself. He believes he's um, past saving. Yeah. So I guess in a way, a way he could interpret it is like, since all you care about is survival and you don't really think you're worthy of anything more or, or gr- with more purpose than that, like at least save others who are still holding on to something bigger than themselves. Yeah. That's part of it too, for sure. Um, 
she tells you know they can hear the they can hear the infected coming you know they were activated by that fungi and uh, Joel goes full Neil Macaulay here. Never let yourself get too attached to something you are not willing to walk out in 30 seconds or less if you feel the zombies coming around the corner. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, he gives her one last look and he's he's gone. No kiss or nothing. Nothing. Uh she she yeah, she gets that elsewhere later, but um yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Allie is like she's screaming, she's screaming and kicking. I thought, like I said, upon first watch, I thought this moment felt a bit earned. Like, why does she care so much? But again, after rewatching it, they do have a lot of moments together, um, especially when they're walking through the city. When she's, when Tess is kind of explaining to her and kind of schooling her on the fungus and the brain and the the hive mind, um, kind of reminding her that you're not immune to being ripped apart. All these, they do have some some bonding moments, and the you know the fact that Tess is like the one that has her back and on her side, um, I think that spoke to to Allie and kind of endeared her to her. So it makes sense. I, you know, at first I was like, I don't know why is she so like devastated. She barely knew this woman, but um, in a world that's so like desolate and desperate, uh, every new encounter you, you can't help but like everyone's so lonely, you know, and and you can't help but like uh, fantasize or imagine a future maybe she was thinking of maybe this because she's an orphan maybe she had like this mother there was like a motherly uh, bond that she started to feel um yeah in this time frame specifically ali's within the last couple weeks she's become really accustomed to losing people that she doesn't that she wants to either establish a relationship with or she already has an established relationship with so it's just yeah and like you said the loneliness and when you put all that together especially for a, a person or she thinks she's supposed to be like 14 or 15 right now someone okay. at that age to especially a, a older role model for them to just come in and out of the picture almost immediately it it yeah it hurts a lot more and a lot deeper than if it was over a few weeks or if she wasn't there to see it and you know obviously seeing it is pretty traumatic too yeah you know seeing that the bite mark and she probably feels a little bit of survivor's guilt as well too yeah survivor's guilt knowing like i can't get sick but look how quickly someone close to me or around me can die from this like nothing yeah they uh yeah that's a good point and the fact that people keep telling Allie that she's she can help you know that she can save people but her her lack of agency in this in the world right now without you know right now as it stands probably kind of is really discouraging you know the fact that marlene and everyone's telling her that that she's the key but yeah she's like well i can't even save this one woman how am i supposed to save everybody i could feel i could feel some of that too um she probably doesn't feel worthy of it, which is kind of mirrors Joel's sentiment of not feeling worthy of being saved. Like, she probably doesn't feel worthy of saving mm. others, especially when they're so quick to sacrifice themselves yeah. for her. She probably doesn't feel like she's earned yeah. it, especially at her young age. Yeah. So. By the way, that reference earlier about Joel going full Neil Macaulay, that's a reference to Heat for all you uh, losers out there who have no, Id- Robert De Niro no idea heat. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's easier to just say Robert De Niro on heat. <laughs> <laughs> Neil McCauley, <laughs> goddammit. Um, 
So she, uh, so she, so as we mentioned earlier, she spilled over all the gas barrels. So now all she needs to do is, uh, you know, light the light, and uh, the the tremors are preventing her from actually effectively lighting the lighter. Kind of a common trope, but it makes it makes sense here because that's you know that's a side effect or uh, losing yeah, motor functions. And then we see this uh, this infected this infected creeper, and he spots Tess. And uh, bro, if I had half the confidence of this of this infected, I would have made you an uncle two three times over by now. Or you'd be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one uh, one smooth operator one swag he's got he's got his swagger back for show um I'll, I'll be honest like the first time like the first time i saw because i watched it twice the first time the show kind of lost me here i like i like moaned audibly i was like what the i don't know i just thought it was mainly for shock i thought it was like kind of like the first time the show kind of resorted to like a cheap shock factory thing the fact that you know i i mean i i thought like in and of itself like the scene's not that bad but in the context of like the episode we just watched and the show it didn't feel earned you know what i'm saying like yeah like had they committed more to like the whole like the body horror horror approach i feel like that scene wouldn't have felt as drastic you know what i'm saying like i don't know like maybe if they included more horrific bodily horror like graphic scenes then that wouldn't have felt as awkward you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying because it is it is kind of like like if anything that felt more like a science fiction like horror movie type scene and i know this is definitely still and that's another thing to 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 point out like we have to remember as as real and nuanced and all that all those good words to say to describe this show it is science fiction yeah. so um i guess in a, in a in a show or movie that committed more to that sci-fi horror like sci-fi body horror approach this w- this scene wouldn't stand out but since we, we are kind of given so much character development and we focus on deeper meanings and all that and in, in this show it, it yeah it just felt awkward it didn't feel earned yeah you know no, for sure that's what yeah. I'm, that, that, that was basically my issue with it yeah um yeah i felt out of left field basically uh the way it shot like a love scene ryan airy from screen crush he put like that that, that uh, I'm never gonna dance again. Guilty fear. Yeah. He put that song over over the scene. This yeah. was funny. <laughs> I was watching Corey from Double Toasted too. He was like, he's like, do you see how he just stopped? Like he was running and he just stopped. He's like, hey girl, like what's up? <laughs> I was like, damn, oh, he yeah. did. Like he's like, everyone else is sprinting, but he his creepy ass just had to stop and look over there and, and walk up slowly, not even running, walking up. That's slip. what you call bro love at first sight. Was on his Pepe Le Pew. Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> um, but like I said, okay, so yeah, like my initial reaction was, uh, you can y'all can keep that, please. But upon second viewing and hearing the creators talk about it, it started to make more sense. I started to buy in. Craig Mazin, they spoke a lot about this on the podcast, like five minutes about this particular scene and the choices really? they made. The fact that they decided to shoot it like a love scene. Um, and Mazin like got even deeper. He talked about the idea about this idea of the fungi's need to reproduce and to love, he says something like the fungus loves too, which is creepy and, and like icky and sticky, but it uh, but it makes sense. And, and the fact that they have a like a a primal desire to reproduce to connect, and that's what keeps them chasing other you know alive people, and that keeps them connected and stuff. It's a um, 
it's really disturbing to think about but the fact that yeah that the fungus needs to to to, to love too um he kind of spoke at length about about that idea and the fact that this particular infected spotted or you know could kind of sense um that test wasn't fully turned yet he kind of want, like this was him showing yeah like showing his their version the the, the infected's version of love like welcome making her feel welcome it's so creepy and so unnerving but uh it, it makes more sense it wasn't just used for um i don't think shock i think they they put a little bit more thought into it for sure just hearing them talk about it um yeah if anything that makes me want to maybe see some more scenes or, or episodes kind of focused on on the infected a bit even if it's just like a cut to scene of them doing some weird science fiction type shit I would yeah like, like in uh this just made me yeah. think of uh zombie or army of the dead the the zach what was that movie oh yeah zach hell yeah hell yeah well, yeah, army yeah, of the dead, they, yeah. you kind of see like the familial bonds of the zombies in that there's like a mother spoiler or minor spoilers but there's like a motherly care like arc like a protagonist in that movie a mother zombie um king and, zombie queen yeah, and zombie you see them they have kids and like they're very protective of each other it's uh, it's pretty disturbing but um yeah like you you remember these these infected were people once so you have to yeah expect that there's some sort of uh, humanity buried deep deep down in there um yeah the idea of like a uh you know for lack of better words, like horrific looking organisms still having human emotion and qualities is definitely not a new idea, but it's always cool to see when it's executed. Right. I just don't think that at this point in the show, it's really earned it. But I mean, if this is like a a starting point for them to go deeper with that, then yeah, then hell yeah. Then I'd be, I'd be cool with that. Cause that leans into more of what I was been wanting to say. Like, I do hope they keep leaning into the horror aspects more, especially with the, I know I keep bringing up the second game, but especially now that they announced the second season, like I feel more comfortable about it. But yeah, the second game has some gnarly like horror sequences. So I hope they, they can take that approach more as they um, get more confident in the show making. Yeah. I mean, I wonder now that they've seen how much of an, how, how big of an audience the show has garnered, if they'll continue to, or if they'll expand on some of this, because some of that stuff can isolate audiences. You know, not everyone wants to see that stuff, and I'm sure that'll factor into any kind of creative choices they make in the future. Hopefully, they can find some sort of compromise and balance to honor, like, the show's spirit, or the game spirit, which is, like you say, sci-fi horror, without, like, um, like worrying to worrying about kind of um, appealing to, like, the, the general broad audience that, that this show has clearly reached. So we'll see. I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on in the future for sure. Yeah. And to be specific, I'm not like, I'm not saying like gore is necessary. Obviously I think violence is, is it kind of takes you out when you see something horrific and there isn't as much violence as you expect. But I mean, I'm definitely not one to consider like super gory things as like, Oh, that's rad. Like there are some audiences out there who look for that, but um, no, like I just want more of like, tension and and a lot of like the i hate using this term but whatever like the elevated horror type of aspects of it like especially like we can connect it with chernobyl like chernobyl um there were a lot of scenes where 
like especially because it's so grotesque factual and, and, and it's like it scares the shit yeah. out of you because it's like and it's not anything alien it's nothing far-fetched that's what makes it even scarier and if you add in the liberties of, of this science fiction property with you know the reality-based approach chernobyl has they definitely have a good recipe to to build on that horror aspect well, of yeah. it and i and i hope they do that well more. said bro well, well said yeah. um yeah, at first, at first I saw Tess as like kind. Of, excuse me. At first I saw this as Tess surrendering a bit. The fact that she lets this infected kind of just pull up on her this way, and uh, Troy Baker, he hosts the 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 official HBO podcast. For those who don't know, Troy Baker is the, the OG you know, Joel, the, the original voice actor for the game. Um, he's he's great on this show. I, I I've seen interviews, uh, with him. Th- you know, in preparation for watching the show. And uh, he's like a big fan. Like he loves this shit. Uh, so it's cool to see him. He he does like the joke. Uh, side note, dude, he's a voice actor. Yeah, go. dude, he could do so he's much stuff. Everything. They say he should replace Mark Hamill because Mark Hamill says he's retiring as a Joker. And I saw a clip of him doing joke like Mark Hamill style Joker. I I, I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, he, he's, he's incredible. Look that up. Um, but he he kind of said at first he thought it was, or at first at first I thought Tess was surrendering, but Baker said that he saw it as a bait, like the fact that if i respond or if i kind of run um i'm never going to get this damn lighter to light so the fact that she kind of stands there and lets him come in is sort of bait for her to buy more time to flick the lighter and it's kind of like a last act of hope which is kind of a a, a running theme of her entire arc in this episode even to her last moment she holds on to hope like she could have given up on that lighter not lighting and figured this fucking thing is not lighting. It's broken. This guy's attacking me or this infect is um, attacking me. But she, even in her last moment, she like flicks the lighter on. And um, I thought that tied her, like that gave her story a, a relatively satisfying conclusion. You know, the fact that she was hopeful to the end, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. No, yeah. It, it definitely wasn't a scene that where I was like, God, that like ruined the episode for me or anything. It just, it felt like, like, like something was missing. Like so, just something like it was missing. Yeah, no, I I feel you there. But it doesn't. The way you explained it right now, like the approach of it, like it's not. Yeah, it makes sense. It's not as obviously. Um, it's not as uh, obvious until unless you really sit there and give it thought, which I did, and which um you know, like I said, Troy Baker kind of point pointed this out as well. Um, but if you look at it just on its face, it looks like a common action movie trope of the la- of the flicker not lighting and. And then the last second it lights, you know, it, it kind of seems a little tropey. Yeah, I guess the direction, if to be specific, the direction and the pace of the scene just felt a little rushed for me. Or like not as focused as it could have been. Yeah, I feel like the, the, yeah. maybe if they would have cut to, I think it could have used like a cut to the other infected, like maybe breaking the door, you know, like they're about to get out. If she doesn't blow this now, they're out. Something like that, I think, would have yeah. really elevated the scene to another level. But I think that they thought of that. That that's not like a groundbreaking thing to think of. But they wanted to yeah. keep the focus on this specific interaction. Yeah, and I do kind of respect the choice of them just being like, "Fuck it!" Like we're gonna frame it as this creepy ass romantic kiss. Yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of that's kind of a cool choice, even though I don't think it it worked completely. It's bold. It, it is cool. Yeah, I like the bold choice for sure. And then, 
you know, once it blows up, Ali's, Ali's, like we mentioned, sort of devastated, but we mentioned, I already kind of gone over why I think, at at first I didn't think it was earned, but, but I think it was, they had some sweet moments together, and, um, and that, and that's basically the episode, Joel gives this look to Ali as he walks away, like, kind of like this contemptuous look, like, it's her fault that this happened, and, Ali's left there standing alone. The final shot is her standing alone and she's alone again. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's basically that, that, that wraps the episode. And, um, yeah, like I said, I love this episode. Thought it did a lot to move the story forward. We learned a lot about the characters and who they are. Uh, there's new threats introduced. Um, there's a new plan. We're going to see some new characters. It seems like in the future, I don't see the next on episode. But uh, Bill and Frank is someone I expect we'll meet in the next episode. Um, yeah. Do you do you want let's let's go over some favorites. Do you have any? Uh, so my favorite moment, obviously, like the clicker little battle fight is probably an obvious choice. But the one scene or the one um, sequence that really like took me aback was the first time they step into the open city. Like I really love the visuals and and the beauty and all the the detail and wonder of of the world despite it being in ruins it's still nate like nature carries on you know like like you mentioned mother nature finds a way uh like jurassic park what do they say it, we always find what is it life always finds a way something like that yeah but uh i just thought all that looks stellar and and uh so between the clicker battle just how effective that whole set piece was how 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 terrifying and scary and thrilling it was and the design of the clickers, and then just the, just the design and the visuals of the open city. Um, those were like my my favorites. Do you have any favorite favorite moments? Yeah, I think for me, it's definitely everything you just mentioned. It, but it's a tie with the cold open. I I love mm. I like the cold open as well because it almost felt like a, an excerpt from an entirely different show, or like that it was directed by a, a entirely mm-hmm. different director and stuff. I don't know. It just the world building behind it made made the story feel more expanded on and yeah i like that a lot yeah for sure the it felt like a yeah. short it could have been a short film a lot of cold opens can technically yeah. be short films but this one it, but yeah this one really yeah, because felt it has like it, it like has a, lot, a though. beginning middle end you know she's brought you know yeah yeah it almost felt like a treatment for like a a different like a indonesian version of this like train to busan yeah. or something i don't yeah. know yeah it, it yeah, was tight sure. You gotta see Train to Busan. You've never seen that. I've, I've seen it referenced a couple times when I hear people talking about this. Yeah, Train to Busan. Yeah, is tight. Um, um, and then, yeah, for sure the the whole clicker sequence, but even building up to it. I know you mentioned it earlier when they're walking up the stairs. Like mm-hmm. I thought the set design on there was shit. That shit yeah. was crazy. Um, I just like the. I know it sounds like like I'm being a stickler for the game and stuff, but I just enjoy the dark scenes like. I want them to get underground. I want them to be like no sunlight and shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that scares a lot of people, especially we always bring up the dreaded Game of Thrones episode, but episodes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, episodes like dark ass episodes. But get your TVs calibrated, I mean, I, and it's all good. Yeah, I think if if the set design is good, and you know the creatures have some color, and their flashlights were fucking lighting up the whole. Like and they were lighting up enough of the set where you could look at a lot of the details, yeah. and I remember, um, I forgot who it was. I think it's Ali. She's like steps on one of like the burnt ass corpses and just like the crunch and the look of it. It, it looked yeah. really good. 
it reminded me a lot of i know we've mentioned it before but like annihilation yeah. and obviously it reminded me of the game too yeah so. yeah i loved that whole section i think i, I liked the built up to the clicker scene more than the actual clicker scene the clicker scene was awesome just because they looked so good and and stuff but like i don't know i guess it just bothered me like but it also does make sense that like it differentiates the clickers from the runners because they're they're more formidable because you know in that earlier scene with joel and ali like the, he sounds so self-assured when he's like yeah i've killed lots of them but he obviously hasn't killed or hasn't had as much success with just the clickers as opposed to like just the, the regular stalkers. people I think who they're are called stalkers is like runners yeah runners stalkers yeah. there's a couple of them but um yeah, the the clickers it, it did make them feel more formidable, but yeah, that that whole whole set design behind that and everything was sick. Yeah, basically a plus no notes for me on that whole sequence for sure. Yeah. Um, the only thing is like you know that Joel and Ellie aren't gonna die, so it didn't ever feel like too much was at stake at least in this episode. So, um, yeah, but it almost made me feel like I was watching someone play that didn't know what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> Like, dude, you fucking missed that shot. <laughs> God, you missed Gacho. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and the character MVP for me, it's a clear choice test, 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 and it's not close. Um, though, 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 I thought Ali and Bella Ramsey's um, performance here was really good, too. We learned she got a lot more to do in this episode. Um, but Tess, well, this was her showcase. This is her Emmy, Emmy episode, if, if they decide to do that. But, um. Yeah, for sure, Tess. Um, my favorite bar. What I mean by bar is like my line of comes. I'm gonna say bar. My favorite bar of the episode is you save who you can save. When she says that, you know, it says so much with so little. This is uh basically saying, come on, Joel. This is your this is your chance. This is your chance to matter again. This is your chance to feel alive again. There's some. This is this is it. Don't miss <laughs> it. Don't miss it. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow, bro. And uh, she's from Michigan too, so. Oh yeah. She's from Eight Mile. She gives. I was gonna say earlier, she gives you that Eight Mile mom energy. <laughs> I can trailer believe park? she's from. Yeah, she got that trailer park energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we should mention real quick that Mason mentioned that they. Sh- I don't know if they shot it, but they wrote a uh, uh, a flashback to her backstory. And they mentioned that in the the official podcast, mm-hmm. and they decided not to use it. Apparently, I don't know if they shot it or not, but it's basically, how, you know, how Tess's family had infected. She had or got infected. She had a husband. She had a son. She had to kill the husband, oh, but she life. couldn't bring herself to kill the son. So what she did instead was lock him in the basement. And like the last scene of the flashback is of her just, um, you know, locking the door and running and the door just like banging and banging and banging and, and her being, you know, devastated by what just happened. So. I thought that would, I was like, holy shit, this sounds amazing. The way that they they did a much better job of describing the scene than I'm doing, but um, you kind of get an idea of where she came from. Adds weight to that talking point that wives always say, like they love their children more than their husband too. So it'd be easier <laughs> yeah. to blam your husband than blam your kid. Yeah, she had no problem <laughs> doming the husband. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, save who you can save, and just a reminder that that Joel has an opportunity here to redeem himself. I thought that uh, spoke volumes. And then you're not immune from being ripped apart. I like that too. That's, like I said, that that's a cool line while also kind of establishing a new rule, a new danger that Allie is exposed to. Um, really great writing. The fact that it's not only a cool line there to flex, it also kind of introduces a new 
danger into the world of the show. Do you have a do you remember any favorite lines or lines that stood out? Maybe some of the funnier lines. I agree with you on the MVP. I mean, it's oh, yeah. it's so focused on Tess. It's mm-hmm. like hard to even argue. I mean, I guess I was thinking a little bit just because I'm I'm more curious of the direction Bella Ramsey's going with her take on Allie. So I was kind of closely monitoring everything she did in this episode. Um, now I like those lines too. I thought one that was funny was. I like the their little interaction while Tess was opening the other side, like climbed up to open the other side of the door. Like I, there was a lot there that I enjoyed, and I like when she's fucking with the knife, and he's like, "We're just trying to do that," and she's like, "The circus, like all smart ass." Oh, yeah, it just reminded circus. me of like, like the kid, that's such a kid reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a uh, snappy. She's very uh, snarky. Yeah. Um. But. I just had a thought. I it, I lost it. But um, yeah. So to to be to to wrap things up, um, yeah, it was just 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 a great episode. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember what I was gonna say. Uh, I can't. Maybe I'll remember it next time. But any other any other final thoughts, bro? No. Yeah, oh, so- I, I mean, to, I guess yeah. To add. Because it is, it just got announced today that they re- renewed season two, and I think obviously the success of the first two episodes has something to do with that. But I was also wondering because a lot of reviewers have, I'm not, I'm pretty sure they've had access to the whole season. They but, got the first four, but yeah, okay. So but there was a lot of like as soon as this week started, a lot of people already talking about like epi- like the, they're already building the hype around episode three. So well, I thought it was interesting how it got renewed right before episode three so this shit better be really Fire. good because they're no, hyping yeah, people, the shit out of it online <laughs> yeah people yeah. have been talking about episode three since before the premiere yeah so yeah episode three I, but yeah yeah I mean, i'm excited because everyone says episode three is a banger um they've all been bangers so far so i'm looking forward to that for sure but i remember what i was going to say and uh it was interesting how this episode focused only on the like what they describe as the a storyline one storyline um shows typically aren't able to do that they need to either break tension by breaking away to like a b line a b story or something but it i thought um it it kind of um emphasized like the claustrophobia of the episode the fact that we're with joel and ally throughout the entire episode kind of um really made the whole experience of watching very intimate and kind of like i said claustrophobic but um yeah, I wonder if the rest of the show is going to do that. I wonder if we'll be checking in with Marlene or anything going on at the QZ. I don't see who else we would be checking in with. Maybe Tommy. Maybe we'll get some stuff going on with Tommy. Yeah, we're definitely, I feel like we're definitely going to get stuff with Tommy. But, but I don't. I, I doubt we'll see anything else in Marlene. the QZ or that Boston area from episode one. Yeah, I'd like to see Marlene again. I, I would I, too. I'd but like to see the actress. She's I don't know great. if we'll see her at that spot. Hopefully we'll oh, see yeah. her somewhere else. That'd yeah, yeah. Cool. No, I don't care if it's there. Yeah. I'd rather not be there because like I said, I wasn't in love with the the design of that place, but yeah. I loved her and, and her whole portrayal of that character. But I had no issue with it. Some people are like, like we're wondering, we're, we're kind of getting kind of, um, I don't know, uncomfortable just staying with the same people the whole episode but i i loved it i thought it worked well they did the pacing of the whole episode i never felt it dragging i never felt it uh rushing i thought it was really really well done um 
there's certain breaks, you know, of tension, like when you get that a couple of heart to heart moments. So it's not like the show is completely going uh, on an 11 the whole episode. So it felt interesting ways to kind of break tension and then um, give it some range and, and, and pace the whole episode really well. So yeah. you have to establish that core cast. And especially sure. considering now that people know Tess wasn't part of that, they still have a lot to do with Joel and Allie in I mean, I, it's there. It, I mean, there's good foundations, but mm-hmm. it hasn't gotten to the point where it should be by the end of this story. So yeah, it's I'm curious to see that journey between Bella and, and Pedro's characters. I want to see their their approach and their take on it more fulfilled and more focused on because there are a lot of side characters that do get a lot of shine. And yeah, sure, they deserve to be expanded on. But I think it's important not to forget that core storyline between those two characters specifically because that literally branches off into every direction the entire series takes so it's important not to you know to balance it out I guess is what I'm trying to say like I do want to see the side characters expanded on if not change some of their fates and actions but I do still think it's important to remember that the show is about first Joel and foremost and about Joel and Allie's yeah. dynamic yeah, and the sh- and that's and that's uh, that honors the game's approach, right? Yeah. Like you never s- even see any of these cold opens or any other. You never see the virus, how the virus is impacted any other place in the world, other than it's solely told through Joel and Ali. So, yeah, um, yeah. I got no. I, I don't really have any problem with it. Um, but yeah, to 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 wrap up, I just want to plug in a couple of uh, other shows and podcasts that that I listen to that I recommend. If you're interested in, in just hearing other people break down and and react to the episode, so Emergency Awesome is on YouTube. Our boy Charlie Schneider, the hardest working fandom nerd on the internet, not, and it uh, hands Internet's down not even close, bro. Like this yeah. guy pumps the content out. Uh, he'll pump out like a 20 minute video on like a blurb on uh, the announcement of a new project or something or yeah. a new casting announcement. He's usually but, pretty accurate too. It's crazy. No, yeah. The, the guy is incredible. He doesn't spew a lot of bullshit like a lot of other channels do. And Ryan Airy over on Screen Crush on YouTube, he does a great job of really dive, diving deep and breaking down episodes. Uh, a couple podcasts we listen to: the Ringer Prestige TV podcast, Van Lathan and Chuck Baby Holmes. They react to the episode um, every week on Mondays, I think. And then uh, Mallory Rubin and Joanna Robinson do a deep dive that comes out on Thursday. So that name of that podcast is. Uh, prestige tv on the ringer and then of course my boy david chen got a shout out david chen decoding tv he's breaking the episodes down with christian spicer and then like i mentioned already the hbo official podcast hosted by troy baker and uh and craig mazin and neil Druckmann. the show's creators are are on every episode too so that's a really good listen to um any other closing thoughts bro no, I have two. I have two plugs to mention too. I mention them all the time. Heavy spoilers on YouTube and Three C Films on YouTube. That's what's up. He's good too. He's a Mexican dude, so good band together. There you go. Support the brothers. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Remember your blessings and mind your business. Peace, gods. Peace. <laughs>